this week on Invasion of the Podcast, what's the emoji for poor diplomatic relations? We talk about the short-lived Dana Carvey show and its long shadow. And in our new feature, we wonder what's best in life. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we're trying to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and to my left, as always, is Steve. Hello, everyone. And I remembered what I was going to want to talk about. I All just right. Said, right before I press record, I'm like, well, well, oh, yeah, that's it. So re- just real quick, just because I, just the story attached to this was funny. Uh, this week uh, is the 11th anniversary of the first uh, expansion for World of Warcraft. You, know, you guys can, you know, break my glasses or shove me in the dirt, but I'm going to talk about this for a second. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's called the Burning Crusade. Uh, and it's it's just, I think it's interesting because this week they also released a patch for the current game that kind of ends the current expansion. So there's kind of a symmetry to that. But so... I remember this because I was working at GameStop at the time, and uh, and I, Steve, I know you're not an avid gamer, uh, but this 11 years ago, this is back when GameStop used to do like the midnight releases for games. I don't know if you ever went to any of those. For not anything. for video games, for music albums, and and I don't know if I even actually went for any films, but uh, yeah, definitely music releases is probably the the only thing I've ever gone out. Yeah, that, they used to do that, didn't they? I forgot about that. Yeah, like the big yeah, you have to go out and get your go and get your compact disc of whatever you know, <laughs> or uh, sometimes cassette if you couldn't afford the compact disc. <laughs> yeah, right. Or the cassette single that only had one song you liked, and then a B side no one cared about. Uh, so I was working at the time of game stuff. So we do midnight releases then. And it used to, it depend upon the game. Yeah, you get some some like a lot of people there for it. Like Halo Two was a big one at the time. World of Warcraft, it was, this was the first expansion for this game. It had been out for a couple of years. Uh, at that time, the the fan base for, or the subscription base, as you say, it was growing and growing and growing. And at one point, it peaked at like over 12 million active like people using it. Like that's, you know, that's more than some, I, I, I think it's larger than the population of Rhode Island. I don't know. It's probably not right. But either way, this game was still growing and the, the first expansion, so everybody was super excited for it. However, uh, the way it was at the time, Blizzard wasn't able to, they were able to do patches, but not that big of content. So they would release all on discs because internet wasn't the same as it is now. Uh, Cause now like they always patch everything in. You can still buy a physical release, but odds are you just want to buy it digitally and download it. Right. Okay. So there was, you, it was a midnight release for a game that a lot of people loved, but the people, a lot of people that play World of Warcraft and this is the hot take aren't always the most sociable people. And they would no. rather they'd rather be at home on their computer playing World of Warcraft than be out in public, and I'm guilty of this too. Uh, so we <laughs> so we had this line of people waiting at the door for midnight, and I was working with my buddy Scott who had his Zune out, I think, if I remember right, that dates it, and he had 
he had a playlist of music to try to get people pumped up and he played the the rocky theme the uh the not the not going to fly but like the big victory rocky theme and he was playing that as like the countdown music to let people in the, like to to actually line up and buy the game and they're just staring at him like no one gives a <laughs> damn and he's like we're trying to get the crowd like crowd like it's it's probably like 30 people but every single one of them was basically the same guy like not making eye contact not talking much waiting there and like you know, in their jeans and their printed T-shirt to get their game and go home, and I just I don't know something about that. Like you don't have that now because everything's digital. Yeah, you know, and it's just I remember eleven years ago I was stuck at a GameStop at midnight selling boxes of a game that people immediately wanted to go home and upload, but not talk to each other, but then get in game and talk about it. But I just remember the music playing and everybody just just did not care. And I thought that was <laughs> I, thought, I just thought that was funny. And I had to so happy birthday, Bernie Crusade, and happy birthday to me eleven years ago. Being in a room full of awkward people and that wasn't the only time like i i'd been to other minute releases after that for world of warcraft <clears throat> the next two expansions were before they got better at releasing digital content and that was another like i like i love the game i've talked about a lot on the show uh but i it, it's probably the same thing with star wars uh that you have people that you know you can talk Star Wars about and have a good time with and have a great conversation. And then there's the, I want to put air quotes, the fans that you'd rather not talk at all yeah. about the, the the thing with. Mm-hmm. Like It's not because they're super fans. It's just that either they love it too much and you can't understand why they love it the way they do, or they say things where you're like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what you're talking about. But we still love the same thing, but I'm going to slowly back out of this conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's usually when somebody starts to, like, if they bring up, like, oh, you know what I didn't get enough of? The politics of episode one, where I'm like, really? <laughs> that's that's what you didn't get enough of? So, um, so anytime somebody's like, yeah, the thing that was most interesting to me about the prequels is the politics or whatever, then I'm usually like, I don't think we're watching the same movies, or at least we're not watching the movies for the same reasons. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely been in that position where, like, somebody, like, you you love something, and then somebody gives you a reason that you're like, that's why you love this. Well, like, yeah, it's like with World of Warcraft, it was more like either people think they know what Blizzard's thinking, like, well, I heard they're going to do this next. It's like, and this was the time like ten years ago where the internet isn't what it is now, where there's a lot of data, data mining where they find things out. Where everyone's like, I heard so and so, and from mr blizzard himself this is like i don't no like let's not like speculation's kind of fine but i don't want to have the speculation about i don't know something about this conversation is driving me nuts unless i guess you could always like in terms of like being a fan be like it'd be cool if they did this but the conversation's always like i know they're going to do this or i know this and i know this and i know this i don't like those conversations and they kind of i guess it's because i was working like at GameStop retail at the time and also at uh, blockbuster at the time. And you get into these really weird looped in conversations about things that you love, but you don't want to have that conversation. Right. You know? So I, I just, I'm glad that I'm no longer stuck in a GameStop at midnight, either selling the game or being in a line with people that want to buy the game. Right. So anyway, that's, I was thinking about that. I, I don't want to you know. go too far on with this, yeah. but I just want to ask a quick question. You you mentioned Mr. Blizzard. Is that <laughs> no? That's not a real person. No, no. Is it? Okay, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, no, no, uh, no. There's a number of people that run that run Blizzard Entertainment, but I just I I felt I, like he was like Jason Blum of like Blumhouse Productions yeah, or something. Yeah, it's it's Steve Blizzard. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why I always go with Steve as my go to. That's your name, but I'm always like, yeah, that's Steve. So so no. Um, it was, yeah, it was just, uh, I, anyway, so there, there used to be a point when I was working at GameStop where you'd get the, you'd see the person come in 
and they're like, hey, do you play World of Warcraft? And I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, just because I didn't want to get, in, like, I've, I've known people that will sit there and have like a half hour conversation about their character and what they're doing. And I'm like, that's cool. I have to put these games away. And I don't like, you're not buying anything right now, you know? So anyway, I guess I'm a bitter retail person. No longer that, but anyway, 11 years ago, I the was a bitter retail person. still fresh. Yeah, still fresh. And guess what I was doing last night? I was playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, so. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, this is going to be a fun show. Uh, we're going to talk about the Dana Carvey show and the Too Funny to Fail uh, documentary. Uh, at the end, we're going to save, we're going to tease it. Uh, new, the new announcement for what 2018 is. Just hang on to your butts, guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah, before we get to the news, was there anything that happened this weekend? Uh, I know what I did this weekend, which is ties into what we're going to talk about at the end. That was probably my biggest high point of the weekend. I would say that and uh, chiseling my car out of uh, <laughs> the parking lot on Friday after work because it just was encased in ice. But, uh, you know, that was... that was. Although, yeah. no, I did see... Um, if I can make a quick recommendation uh, for those of you who haven't seen uh, Happy Death Day, uh, I would say that uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, kind yeah. of a horror movie meets groundhog's day so. see that's that, that and the name of it also made me really mad really <laughs> i like that name i think it's a dumb name so it's, it's a fun movie and it's mm. it was it was a uh well yeah it was just it was a lot of fun but it, it's uh definitely a good horror comedy so okay all right cool all right so happy death day and world of warcraft that's your recommendations <laughs> everyone so i i don't know if this is good news it's it, it is good news in the sense that like so the, here the the big story here at the start off show is saudi arabia had put an end to its 35 year ban on movie theaters so because there's a lot of other and this is me not speaking to the history but i know there's a lot of uh power structures over there that are very oppressive with a lot of of faith-based things and it's very like you do exactly as we say or there's gonna be problems and i know with um with movies and cinema it's hard sometimes to like control all of that mm -hmm. so in saudi arabia they had banned movie theaters for 35 years because you know um the, uh, the the russians they they, they decided to show um oh the grapes of wrath to their people to show them how bad americans had it back in the 30s and it backfired that time because they're like well look they have a car and they have food and it's like, it's still better over there than it was here. Right. And it kind of, so the whole idea of releasing media to show like that can be, you know, you, you have people that have different visions and different, uh, different movies and that can inspire people to do different things. Right. So can shut down the media. You can really control what goes on day to day. Right. So with this movie theaters that open up again, first time 35 years. With that being said, the very first movie they, they show, that was, you know, mainstream in 35 years in Saudi Arabia is the emoji movie. And I get it. It's like, you know, you don't think too hard about it. Please don't think too hard about it. It's animated. It's a, it's a family film. It's, you know, kid friendly, probably nothing in there message wise that would conflict with any type of religious ideology other than don't watch the emoji movie, like, <laughs> but that's the first one they show. And that blows my mind. You have 35 years worth of films to pick from. Right. That people are like, hey, have you heard of this thing called Star Wars? It's like, oh my goodness. You know, like, 
the new hope like that's you know like that's actually no that's a little older but you know i'm just trying to think like you could have picked any any goddamn movie first but it had to be the emoji movie yeah and i mean i i, I honestly don't know like what the setup here is is this is this is just like they're not starting a chain or anything. It's just one theater, correct? This was actually showed. If I'm looking at the article here, like I, um, this was showed in like um, a cultural hall. So okay. In, in Jeddah, not the same Jeddah from uh, Rogue One. <laughs> uh, I believe that holy city has been destroyed. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm glad, well, hey, I'm glad that they're putting it back together after the Death Star. Um, so that, and then the the second movie they showed was Captain Underpants, uh, which I've actually heard is actually pretty good. Okay. And I and so. I'm guessing because since they're going to probably still censor and kind of really monitor what's going on, I'm guessing that the, it was easier to get the family movies there first to show people. And then they're probably still going to have their own censored versions or things that they're just not going to allow to be seen there. So I guess my question is, is what is the makeup of the theater? Is it literally like they've got a Blu-ray player and a large screen <laughs> yeah. or is it like a traditional theater? Because, you know, I could almost understand saying like, oh, we can't watch, you know, anything too old because, you know, we can't get prints for films from 20 years ago or whatever the reasoning might be. I, I'm going to guess it's probably a, a, some kind of digital projector in this hall with, yeah. the, with the screen. Or it might even be, I mean, I don't know if these movies are available on Blu-ray yet. I don't know. Um, but it sounds like, according to the article here, that the first films are not actually set. Uh, sorry, the theaters aren't open to set till March. Okay. So I'm going to guess that they're going to have these in these cultural halls or places where people can come and meet and gather. Um, I, I think, aside from this being the Emoji movie, which, you know, I have not seen it. I hope to never see it. Uh, this is not the podcast to hold up the emo- I love animated films. Don't get me wrong. And in fact, the teaser, our, our next week's episode is actually going to be dealing with an animated film mm-hmm. in, in a way, an animated show. Um, I And I, I love Pixar. Uh, you know, everything for Pixar except for Cars 2. That one was not great. But it wasn't, but even as a Pixar film, it wasn't that bad. On Monsters University, it was kind of flat too. It was okay, but it wasn't great. But I love, I love Pixar. How to Train Your Dragon will make me bawl my eyes out every single time I watch it. Like, I love animated films, but you can see from a mile away the ones that are just like absolute cash grabs just to get your kids' attention. And those are the ones I have wait, no wait, interest wait. in. Are you trying to tell me that the Emoji movie didn't have like a deep, deep message and <laughs> yeah. like a serious artistic approach behind it? Are you trying to tell me it was a cash grab? Well, well, having um, Jean-Luc Picard in it, like having him in it, that, you know, it classes it up. So maybe there's a message there, you know? Um, I don't know. You know, when you get Sir Patrick Stewart playing the poop emoji, I don't, I don't know if he, if he's like, you know what? I'm really going to bring this this movie up a notch by playing shit. You know, I don't know if that's really. I'm pretty sure it was like you're going to pay me what? Yeah. All right, I'll do it. He's like, listen, I'm friends with Seth MacFarlane. I'll say whatever now. Like yeah. that's you know. So uh, I don't know. I, I I know I know every movie's made ultimately to make a make money, but when something is so shallow as this, whenever you have like I'll even say the Angry Birds movie probably has more merit than this. Because I know it's based on a mobile game, but it's like, at least you could try to develop some themes around birds being angry. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, But like, yeah, this is just yeah, whatever. What are you trying to say, really, with the angry birds? I don't What's know. The message? <laughs> it's, it's like, don't be so angry, birds. You know, but It's like, if those pigs would stop taking their eggs, there's a conflict there. And yes. there needs to be... A- a serious they don't need to be I want, I want like a very serious like war epic like spielberg directed just you know n- not winking at the camera angry birds film you know <laughs> like that would be great uh no but so i 
so you can show family films here. That's great. And I, and I feel like even if they're going to still monitor what comes in the country and still going to kind of censor things, I still think, um, so there was a film put out. It was based on a comic called Persopolis. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with I've it. I've heard of it. I have not seen it's, it. It's wonderful. It's about a girl growing up. It's, I don't think it's Saudi Arabia. I think it was Iran or uh, Iraq. I just, it's probably none of those places, and I'm probably doing it injustice. Mm-hmm. But she wrote a comic about growing up as this girl in the Middle East, and how like she started listening to rock and roll, and like uh, like AC not ACDC. I think she listened to Metallica. I think okay. that, and she really like the music is what kind of opened her her mind up to to the life that she was like you know the choice she could make and the life she wanted to to have. And I and it's it's a wonderful film, um, and it's a it's a wonderful story. And I feel like it, you you get movies in even if it's been censored. And it's been approved. That still plants a seed of creativity, and and you know, like you're experiencing someone else's story. So I'm glad that they're still because I think I think films aren't always given enough credit. Uh, well, maybe they are, but that you can have a conversation from a point of view from somebody else and not realize things until they're presented to you a certain way. Even if it's an innocent family film, like you get some of the Pixar stuff in there, there's going to be some lessons and some thought process in there that might be contradictory to the, to the, to what is going on, but it's presented in a family friendly package that you can have that conversation. So I appreciate that there's the potential for people to experience things that they may not know about. Sure. But wouldn't it be great, like if just the emoji movie like blew up over there, like <laughs> it was like the biggest thing ever. Well, it is the number one film in Saudi Arabia in thirty five years. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. <laughs> Put that on the poster. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, like so, um, maybe you know, like I just the, the the. It's funny how movies will play differently different places, right? Like right now, Last Jedi is not doing so well in China for some reason. And they can't I put just their read that, yeah, that yeah. they're going to be pulling it from the theaters because it's kind of tanked there. Yeah, which is bizarre. Yeah. I, you know, but anyway, so yeah, good on Saudi Arabia for starting to kind of, you know, let more in. I hope that in the future that there's more interesting, maybe not challenging, but more higher. You could, you could still have high quality family entertainment over there that does not have to push your societal norms. The show Inside Out. How about that? Show that film. That yeah. the, that's a wonderful film that deals with emotions and growing up. And it's not it's not the emoji film. So movie the, mo, mo, the emoji film for your consideration. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that yeah, I had, I thought that was kind of cool. I like I like seeing culture kind of break down a little bit. Not break not break down, but like like something's changing over there. And I, I think that's a that's not a bad thing. Right. You know? So yeah. Anyway, there, there's my my uh, I don't know my socio political commentary for the show. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna have some more political commentary here in a second. Uh, so I know we talk about Star Wars a lot, Last Jedi stuff a lot. This is gonna be another Last Jedi episode, not really. Um, someone on Reddit, uh, which is a thing I don't go to because one, I don't understand it, and two, it seems brutal at times, like much of the internet. Someone released a defeminized in quotes cut of star wars last jedi to de-emphasize the women uh heroines in the movie so it removed like pretty much every part where there was a woman involved in the film and he the person that there's a he of course uh put this edit together to like so here wait one second do you know why they are called spoilers when there's a sacrificial decision sacrificial that's not a word when there's a decision to sacrifice oneself in the film they imply that someone else made that decision versus one of the main characters 
Um, as in they, they put Poe Dameron in a place where he wasn't making a decision that someone else was making. So even, even that one moment of badassery is like, can't let a woman do that, you know? So the reason I bring this up, not only because Steve's a Star Wars fan, um, and he probably wants to every re- edit The Last Jedi himself, not really. Um, <laughs> I, the, the whole thing comes in like um, 46 minutes. After cutting everything out of this movie that's over two hours long, this person's cut is 46 minutes because once you take all the strong female performances out, all you have left is 46 minutes of film. <laughs> so... I think that's and, and, and the, even the person presenting it was like it's not that strong of a movie. Well, no kidding, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I bring this up because I one I I don't understand why people are intimidated by having a film that challenges again, but much like the emoji movie, I guess <laughs> it, it challenges your notion of 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 different different genders and their roles and how they contribute to to a story to society to a greater whole. I, I just feel like there's some guys out there that just no matter what, it, it's like, well, a woman's making a decision. The only decision should be is how many sandwiches to make me in the kitchen. I like I don't like that mentality. Right. And this, I think this is one of the strongest points of The Last Jedi was how um, forward-thinking it was. Not even forward-thinking. Like, Why should it be forward-thinking to have women involved? That's not forward-thinking. That's appropriate. Like, you know, and there's some really good, strong female characters in the film. And I really enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, I mean, I there are, I, I have all this stuff running through my head now. So like, if I get a little muddled here, I'm gonna apologize in advance. But first point is, is like, like you told me, but you sent me this story, and like I thought it was an onion story. Again, <laughs> one of those things from like, oh, the onion, you crack me up. No, this is real. Oh my god. So like, a, I'm just like, I can't believe somebody would even attempt this. B, like. It's like the douchiest thing I think I've ever heard of. Like, I don't understand. Like, are you that? Do you have that much of a problem with women that you're like, I'm going to take them all out of the movie? And oh, wait. Not in my Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I, fan edits is a whole conversation unto itself. You know, there's certainly, you know, the most famous is probably the Phantom Edit where they, they took Jar Jar out of the Phantom Menace. I don't but, think anybody uh, complained about that, though. Well, no. <laughs> I was just talking about, like, fan edits in general. It's like, but, <laughs> I took Jar Jar out of the Phantom Menace, and it reduced the film by three minutes, and everyone's like, okay, I'm okay with that. You know, but, there, there was no Gungan outroar. <laughs> like, you know, like, but I just, like, again, I don't understand having that big of a problem with women. Like, A, for a franchise where, like, you know, the three leads, you know, I would say, you know, Princess Leia and I hate using the term because it's become kind of a cliche, the strong female character. But like growing up in the seventies, like I, I feel like she, she was, you know, one of the few that was out there. Yeah. Um, and like you, if you're watching star Wars and you're like, I'm going to cut that out. Like you are clearly like missing out on like what makes star Wars great. Um, and then, God, I'm getting, um, I'm getting all, you I just, know. I, I like, feel like they're they starting to get angry. They're so. trying to make a point of this, like, well, look, at, like, it's just I don't. There, there is a, and I'm, I'm starting to get tired of the phrase toxic masculinity. Not because it's not a valid term, it's just because you hear it all the time now, which also speaks to the problem that it's happening all the time, right? And and and, and I don't. And, and we're two guys talking about this, so clearly we may not have the best perspective. But what I, I, I never. I, I just don't, I don't know. Like I just feel like I, there 
what is going on in your life that you have to feel like that that you have to like break something to to show people how angry I don't know it's not breaking it's just more like this is how it should be because of this because I believe this and it's like I guess you're entitled to your opinion but I I just don't understand like are you, do you are you expecting people to rally to your your forty six minute edit of this film to be like this is the pure crystallized Star Wars I was hoping for with no women whatsoever I I just don't understand the end game other than to draw attention to yourself and to draw attention to your thought process and beliefs that I think all you're wanting is to be challenged. So that way you can prove, well, if you're arguing with me, then my, then my point of view must have, uh, some substance. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't like that, you know, like I, I, in this particular case, I mean, I'm not saying people can't have just like discussion and, and, and argue about things, but if your starting off point is that women shouldn't be, in any position of power making decisions, then I don't really want to hear your argument. Like, right. I, I don't think that's a good, I, I think that's a non-starter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just, you know, I, that's the guy that you're standing in line with at uh, GameStop at midnight. <laughs> yeah. you know, and you're like, I don't want to talk to you. You know, World of Warcraft would be pretty good if there was less female uh, characters in there. It's all dudes. <laughs> you know? But like, yeah, I mean, my thing too is, is that it just, it, it's one of those things that sort of uh, detracts from actual criticism as well. Like, uh, you know, it becomes this wide spectrum of like, you know, somebody who's like, yeah, I liked the movie like myself, but I had some problems with it versus some guy who's like, I'm going to take all the women out of it. <laughs> like we somehow get lumped together and I'm like, yeah, that's that's the other thing too is that somehow, but then but then your your opinion your yeah. criticism is somehow given the the same weight as someone that wants to go and make a statement right you know and I think I I mean you know I don't know I I feel like there's times where and it's not just Star Wars there's other things too where one's like uh, people feel like they're being they're being told what to believe and it's like I. Example of this, and this is a, something I cannot speak to in great detail, is that there was a weird political discussion around the film Get Out, and I'm not saying that that film isn't worthy of discussion in terms of of the of the discussion of race, of the discussion of of um, of privilege, all of that. I think that film, I think that film, you know, puts it right in front of you, and you have to have that conversation. But I just know that there's people out there that are just like, I don't know if I want to watch that. That sounds political. It's like, then that's the problem with that for me is that, like, you immediately want to put it away from you because it, it's something that might be challenging, and you may not want to hear what it has to say. Um, so you want to kind of muddy the water a little bit as opposed to judging it on its own merits. I'm not saying that there aren't films out there that are made with a point of view or a political point of view, because there certainly are. Um, and you could choose to watch those or, or whatever, but I wouldn't immediately dismiss it just because, Oh, well, I don't, I don't know. I get it. Just, it, I don't know what I'm saying here. It just, if you're antsy about something like that, then maybe you should like, look at why you're antsy about it. Right. I think that's the fair thing, you know. If you're bothered by there's women in Star Wars, is it is it the Star Wars thing that bothers you? Like, or is it like the fact that there's women in Star Wars or just women in general? Like, you know, like are you gonna make fan at make a fan out of nine to five with none of the women in it? See what how far you get with that. You're gonna have Dabney Coleman in it for six minutes. 
You know, like what are you what are you gonna do? You know, like I'm like I, 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 I that I don't know why that came. That to was mind. just such an odd leap. I'm like I'm following you. Get out. Yeah, yeah got yeah, it. Yeah. Political nine, nine to five, five. is political, but it's, but it's three women leads, right? And, no, and, and I and, get that part. And I just, being sexually harassed by a boss. You know, it's like man, that Dabney Coleman just seems to be a dick to nobody. You so know? you're like, saying he should have just been the hero of that movie? <laughs> I mean, in my fan edit, he is. You know, I don't know why I thought if I'm, my God. No, I just, it was, I just kind of came out of nowhere, so. You know, Predator would be pretty great if there wasn't army guys in it. So my cut of Predator is just an invisible guy in the, in the jungle, and then he takes off his mask. That's yeah. all. Because I, I don't really appreciate all the 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 big, muscly male guys in it. Like, I don't I don't know. I just. So, you know. yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, my whole thing is, is it's sort of like, um you know, my criticism, and I'm not spoiling anything, but the film uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane is a movie that I loved from, I think it was two years ago now. Yeah. Um, but my one criticism was, I was like, oh, I wish it would have just ended 10 minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be like somebody being like, you know what, I'm going to take Mary Elizabeth Winstead out of that movie. <laughs> it's, like, it's just John Goodman <laughs> yeah. grinding on a jukebox <laughs> and then shooting a guy. That's all that movie is. Yeah. And playing board games. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, so, but yeah. it's like, would those two things still be like considered the same? Would they be weighted the same? As it's like <sighs> this crazy guy took the the lead female character out of this movie, and then this guy's just like, I wish it ended sooner. That's all. I, well, there, there, there's, there's a weird, there's a weird blowback with Wonder Woman. Everyone's just like, I don't know how. I, it's like you change it to to Wonder Man, which that's a different character altogether. And I, I don't think you'd have the same criticisms of that film. And I just don't understand. There's, I just. You know, I, I women are awesome. Like I, and I think that they're they deserve they deserve their heroes. They deserve strong examples of people that are standing up for what they believe in and making decisions and taking action. And that shouldn't be taken away from them. You know, and I, and like and Wonder Woman's a great example. Less Jedi, uh, Rose is a great example. You know, like the, yeah. the I just anytime anybody wants to take away, that's just saying that they don't want they don't want to give up the power they perceive they have. Right. I and, mean. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's something that's been going on for a while. I mean, all you got to do is well, probably look, since the beginning of time. Yeah, <laughs> it's like those cave paintings are really biased towards the guys <laughs> that are hunting, not so much the gatherers. I, 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 yeah, and for whatever reason was, you know, I was actually going to jump back to the Ghostbusters film from. That, that's two a, years that's ago. a great example. Yeah, um, but like you, you're like it's from the beginning of time. I'm like no, it's the Ghostbusters <laughs> reboot. That's where it started. But like you know, like I just don't understand that mentality of of. of coming out against that movie like if you didn't like it you didn't like it that's one yeah. thing but like you had two you had four really funny females in that movie and the things that hurt that movie in my opinion are bill uh bill murray and dan Aykroyd doing two really unfunny cameos yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh so when the harold uh, ramus like bust is the is better and he's been yeah. he was dead before the movie was made that's a problem well the best cameo in it is uh is uh ernie well, hudson yeah. as her uncle at the end yeah. like so I don't know. I I just don't understand that mentality of like I can't watch women or I can't watch a movie that's political or I can't watch a movie that has a point of view or um, is you know. And I I'm, I'm honestly surprised that there hasn't been some crazy alt right wing. And I I'm not trying to get political here, but like <laughs> Black Panther crazy, comes. You just a crazy alt right. I'm not trying to get political. Here. <laughs> Black Panther comes out next next month, and I'm really surprised that there ha- I haven't read some sort of crazy story about like 
somebody protesting against it or something along those lines. The, the, so. There will be. There will be people will be saying something about and, and that's what's going to happen with all this. And that's a whole nother show. Yeah, right? and I, I realize uh, I'm taking us no, no, off no, topic. No, 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 no. Because the next story, which you don't know it's coming, is, is something that's a little different. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but I, I just... It just... Someone literally saying, I took Star Wars and whittled it down to 46 minutes without women just to prove a point. Like, I don't know what that point is. And, and then when they the say. The point is that he's an asshole, is yeah, what the I, point I, is. There you go. So. Oh, did I break yeah. the rule? No. Like, no. Is that one, that one's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. You're, I guess. It's just it, the F word. Yeah, I'm still learning, folks. No. There's, <laughs> there's, there's only been one F bomb I've let through in this entire show. And. I don't, yeah, and I'll just say it now. It belongs to El Goro because that's his tagline for his show, and what he says about you know, like watching movies, watching movies. He let it go once. He's allowed to do that. So he he's the beholder of the F word, and yes. no one else is allowed to say it. So anyway, yeah, this guy this, this guy's an asshole. Not uh, the guy that did the edit. Um, and that's it. I, I just I I thought it was worth talking about. Um, I feel like this is this unfortunately it would be a topic that we're to come back to again at some point. Um, it's just this one was just weird to me, and just to put a pen in it, uh, whenever this was released, uh, so on Twitter, uh, Ryan Johnson, the director of Last Jedi, um, someone asked him about this, like, is this real? Uh, and then he was like, he said something about like, yeah, um, but he added just the words ha 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 over and over again in his Twitter <laughs> response till he ran out of characters, and then Mark Mark Hamill uh, said agreed, but let me add, and it was a bunch of crying face smiley emojis until he ran out of characters, so. I, I enjoy that they, they all saw this and then John Boyega also was like, you know, a bunch of emojis crying until he was <laughs> laughing. Um, so they all really enjoyed how stupid this is and they basically laughed it off, which is, that's the best way to deal with anybody trying to like, like draw a line and make a statement like this is to be absurd because if you, if you kind of like laugh at it, you you take their legs away, right? And it's like then they're just standing there with their forty six minute edit of Star Wars that, <laughs> that you can't watch. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's. I just wanted to bring up that story. I thought that was uh, interesting for for all the the political discourse that we've been discussing here. <laughs> so this last story is not a political story whatsoever. It's not dealing with Saudi Arabia and theaters and the Emoji Movie. Not dealing with Star Wars and, and the women. This is a very important story. It is flying dinosaur sightings are on the rise. <laughs> In North Carolina, so, uh, so whatever, whatever this, this story is from, um, it's from the one of the local, uh, like outlets down there in Charlotte, uh, but they're like North Carolina has long been home to legends of Bigfoot, the Lake Norman monster, which I don't know what that is, and lizard men, but recently there's been a growing belief of modern petrosaurs living in North Carolina. And petrosaurs are actually what people confuse with pterodactyls, okay. right? Pterodactyls, right? So there, there's some. They got a cryptozoologist, zoologist. Which, by the way, how do you get accredited as a cryptozoologist? There's no cryptozoology degree. There's no doctorate of cryptozoology. Um, they're saying that there's a lot of like these things being seen, and people. Um, what was it? Uh, they there's a there's an article on LivePetrosaurs.com, which includes several additional North Carolina sightings. Someone said a man and his cousin saw something, uh, bringing to his mind the word dragon. The man said it looked like what I'd seen in a Jurassic Park movie. 
Uh, another lady saw a huge black winged creature fly very low over a car. It had no feathers, but sharp edges to its features. In Jacksonville, North Carolina, an eyewitness saw something huge flying in the sky. It looked like a pale greenish white and smooth skin. It didn't appear to have any feathers, and it had a tail with a diamond shape on the end. So everybody's like claiming they're seeing pterodactyls in North Carolina. Um, I just love it that they're on the rise, like the viewing. So I don't know if people are just, and then someone made an image of Charlotte on this article showing what a petrosaur would look like in the distance <laughs> flying over Charlotte, which, you know what, if you see enough of them, change your team name for the Panthers to the petrosaurs, you know, the Carolina petrosaurs. I think that's a good call. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, like, just in the last like i don't know month or two i found out that there's a whole flat earth movement movement going on so this doesn't surprise me unfortunately like i i are they drinking you know uh, <laughs> drano up there? like i don't eating tide pods yeah uh, like so someone was taking an uber ride to work when they saw the same crested creature out the window the driver did not see it. <laughs> like, did you see that giant petrosaur go by oh you be pterodactyl no i didn't see it so <laughs> On um here was it on flyingcreature.com, which is a real thing, I guess. They they updated their their map of uh sightings like seen in states. Isn't the inter- internet just amazing? Yeah. So supposedly North Carolina, <clears throat> there's nine plus sightings of living petrosaurs, right? And then we go to Ohio, there's between six to eight <laughs> reported. Are seats. you kidding me? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> I just appreciate like, if you look at this map, it's it's, it's like like uh, clearly you know um, Washington State is a lot has you know six to eight, but then you get to the Dakotas, <laughs> North and South Dakota have zero sightings because you know why? Because there's nothing in North and South Dakota, even fake creatures. Nevada, which you would think that you know with like Vegas and Reno with all the drinking and then and the the whatnot going on, people would see something flying there, but no, nothing. But North Carolina, I guess, is the petrosaur state. Um, but what I like here too, and I want to show this to Steve as I go down, is the comment section on the story. Oh no! You'll see here. Um, oh, it's where was it? Oh, this is not as long. But I guess it was here before. Someone was writing a bunch of comments about like anytime when somebody say, "Well, I think it was a drone," then this person would write paragraphs about, "Well, a drone could do this, this, and that." Like this person was like refuting every single like. I think people just saw a crane, like a bird, a crane. They're like. Yeah, but a crane doesn't do this, this, and that. It's like they're they want to believe so much that there's literally petrosaurs flying in North Carolina that they're going to refute and just believe that nature has found a way, and that dinosaur. Like, where did they come from? Like, is this like did someone truck them in? Like from another like from Isla Nublar or whatever? Like, did they? Uh, like, wh- wh- why are there only petrosaurs around? Why are there not other dinosaur sightings? But the fact that like they see these, I. Uh, yeah, I thought you would enjoy that. The, I I do enjoy that, and I, you know, I mean, it's that Bigfoot thing of like, okay, well, if you saw him once, wouldn't you see him more? Like, wouldn't either more people see him, or wouldn't like? I, I guess I imagine just a petrosaur being so large that like <laughs> there would have to be like you can't be in the same car with somebody and be like, hey, did you see that plane? No, I didn't see it. Like, you you would the people in the car would others would see it and. You know, in the age of, you know, everyone having a cell phone with a camera in it, like, how are there no, like, you know, spotty photographs? I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
I just the, the original, I found this originally on FARC.com, which FARC.com is great. It's an aggregate site that like people submit stories. But the comment section there is great because everybody kept posting photos. They're like, oh, I saw this ancient fly dinosaur as well in North Carolina. And they're just posting bird pictures. Like, <laughs> like, and it's just like, I just like that there's actually people out there just like, you know what? There are pterodactyls and they're in North Carolina and sometimes in Ohio. Like I just, I have not seen one. You know, I've seen some weird stuff in my life. I've not seen a pterodactyl. I would lose my mind, like, with joy if I saw an actual dinosaur. Uh, just because, like, wouldn't that be great? Just to, like, I mean, depending upon how big they are. If they're, like, T-Rex sized, yeah. I would not be happy. I'd be running away and dying, you know. But uh, I would, I would actually, it's, that's why I always keep a cup of water with me at all times, just in case like, <laughs> so I can see if there's any dinosaurs in the area by the vibrations in the water. Um, I don't know. I just, I think... I think people are doing this thing where people are starting to report stuff because it's funny or they might see something they don't understand and just automatically assume it's a dinosaur, which I don't know why your mind automatically goes to that, but whatever. I, I don't know. But just watch out, North Carolina. You got some petrosaurs like flying around, maybe. Probably not. And I... <laughs> But I wish I had more to add to this story, but I'm just sort of like... Well, let's make up something. Just say, I saw a picture once. <laughs> it was going to Costco. It had a membership. It picked, you know, like... And I asked everybody else, did you guys check his membership? Like, what? We didn't see anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... I was going to make a joke about Sam's Club, but then, you know... <laughs> no, it's like, I'm sorry, that wasn't the Petrosaur. That was an Archaeopatrex. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. You know, whatever. So, anyway, that's Flying Dinosaurs. Um, may or may not be real, probably not real. And if they are, that's awesome. But then again, is that an epidemic that's about to happen? Are we worried about like, you know, we, we've been worried about the Sharknado coming. Are we like, maybe we've done, it's not been paying attention to the petrosaurs. Yeah. But the cryptozoologist also wrote books called modern petrosaurs searching for reopens and finding God and beat that kid in chess. Wait, what? (laughs) I think he's saying not beat the kid, but like. (laughs) So he's written one book about modern flying dinosaurs, once about finding God, and then one about beating children in chess. He's got a lot of interests. Yeah, he does. Like that's it's usually what happens with this. People like are really really smart in like one thing, and you're like, wow, that guy knows a lot. You're like, whoa, no, 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 no. You're now you're talking about now now you're talking about petrosaurs among us. So anyway. I'm not going to beat that flying dead horse, not flying dead horse, that flying dead dinosaur to death. Just be aware. Watch the skies. It could happen to you. Next thing you know, they'll be attacking mailmen in Rocky River. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> nice back. I love it. And now for our feature presentation. I, I like that. There's just petrosaurs. That's like, oh, no, no, no. Those are turkeys. No, they were petrosaurs. petrosaurs. That's what was going on. So, all right. Uh, sorry, it went long. Flying dinosaurs. You got to you got to report the news as it happens. You know. So, um, just want to. So, Steve, you yes. suggested this week that we watch the the Hulu documentary "Too Funny to Fail" about the rise and fall, <laughs> the very very short rise and fall. Yes. Of the Data Carvey show. Why did you want to pick that as a topic? So part of it is is I think that. Uh and I'm just going to step back into my like younger years here for a second. Um, I've heard somebody say before that like you know your favorite cast of say Siren Live is usually the one that you were watching like when you were in junior high to high school. And I would say that that's probably true for me. Like uh, those years for me, it was Dana Carvey, it was Mike Myers, it was Phil Hartman, uh, Chris Farley. Um, 
uh, Jan Hooks, um, you know, that cast to me is kind of like what I loved most about Saturday Night Live. Um, and I was a huge, like, Wayne's World, seeing Wayne's World in the theater was sort of one of those great, like, high school memories that I have. Um, and I've always enjoyed uh, Dana Carvey's comedy, um, which I just recently found out that I'm alone on because I mentioned it to my wife and she's like, oh, I hate Dana Carvey. I'm like, who hates Dana I, Carvey? I mean, yeah. some of his movies aren't great and I'll never watch The Masters of Disguise. No. But, but it's Dana Carvey. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's um, Garth Algar. How can you hate Garth? <laughs> and then I mentioned to uh, to my friend Ryan, who I work on the Siren Slasher with, and uh, he's like, oh, I don't know. He's like, I, I kind of take him or leave him. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, I was huge into Dana Carvey, you know, at that time. Um, and I, I really, uh, I always think back fondly on his characters and, and that time from Saturday Night Live. Um, and I had watched some of the show when it had aired, but I kind of had forgotten about it. And then I saw the um, Hulu uh, documentary being advertised coincidentally enough on hulu um (laughs) (laughs) and uh i was like oh i that 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 sounds interesting i kind of like to look into that and then once i found out more about it i was kind of just blown away by the talent that was behind it um yeah that's uh, like there it's surprising just because like in, in in the documentary like in terms of like who they found to be on the show which we'll talk about more in a second like how like they were nobodies and they picked some of these guys and then also the writing crew like behind it, like there was some big names there too that would go on to do some really interesting things. Like mm-hmm. the like the part that's well, so basically we set the stage a little bit. So Dana Carvey is at the height of his popularity, like could do no wrong. Uh, and then he left Saturday Night Live because he just he kind of wanted to do something different. And and him and his uh, friend Robert Schmeigel, who was a writer with him on Saturday Night Live, they uh, they kind of kicked around some stuff and then. That they you know they approached ABC with this and ABC was like sure let's just do it. They thought they were getting like peak Dana Carvey from Saturday Night Live. They did not know what they're about to get. Mm-hmm. And after watching, there's the, all the episodes are on Hulu as well, uh, and they're about twenty four minutes a, cl- a clip. Like no no commercials, you could tear through them fast. The skits are all relatively short. It's an easy watch. And but if you if you watch it with the lens of knowing that the show was destined to not be renewed you do see how some of the misses feel weird and like, okay, I can see why, but there's, this is a very nineties kind of take on things. Like in the sense that he wanted to do something different. He didn't want to do the same Saturday Night Live skit, which was always like one funny person in a room and then a straight man reacting to it. He wanted to get weird. He wanted to go back to the Monty Python absurd and Smichael was down for it. And then they kind of got their crew writers together and, and they got really weird, and ABC had no idea what was about to happen. And I don't think anybody was was aware because Dana Carvey was the safe bet. He was, um, I mean, think about it. I mean, everybody, just, he was the church lady, which the church lady wasn't really that racy. Uh, and Garth was a safe character. And Hans, like, he was, if you're going to pick someone out of there and say, ABC's going to have a new show with, with the Silent Live cast at that time leading it, he would have been your pick. Right. You know, and like, I could see how they, didn't see eye to eye because he he was he was done being safe. He just didn't bother telling anybody. <laughs> well, I think that uh, you know the thing with with that is is that clearly like ABC thought they were getting something and Dana Carvey thought that they, he was getting something and they both had two different things in mind. Um, yeah. And you know I don't want to go into too much, but um, you know the, the big revelation for me was was realizing that a 
Stephen Colbert and Stephen Carell both kind of got their start there. I mean, they, they absolutely did. Yeah. They, they had worked together on, uh, you know, at Second City, but like their like actual television careers both started there. Um, but my favorite moment in the documentary is they're watching a promo for the show that airs right after uh, a well it's a it's actually a commercial for home improvement which was their lead in yeah and uh, you know Dana Carvey <laughs> show is doing skits where it's very counterculture type stuff uh, and they're lead they're watching this commercial where it's like you know all about uh, there's a very special improvement where one of the kids might have like Probably cancer or something. Yeah, he's uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas is afraid he's going to die of something. Yeah, and it's a very like on a very special episode of Home Improvement, <laughs> it's a, a parent's worst nightmare. And Tim Allen's like, I'm not going to let anything happen to your kid, and it's like followed up by nine thirty the diet mug root beer Danny Carvey <laughs> show. It's like, <laughs> and then you see like all of their faces, like they just burst into laugh into laughter, and they're like, "What the hell were we thinking?" Yeah. Like. You know, and even Smigel's like, I didn't even watch the show, so I didn't know what home improvement was. He's like, I thought it was another comedian, so like it would be a good fit. <laughs> He's like, we were so wrong in that aspect. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like, uh, you know, a, a, another comparison to it. The thing that I kept thinking about as well is, is uh, you know, the very short-lived Clerks animated series that Kevin Smith did. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where ABC thought it was getting The Simpsons and. Uh, they didn't understand <laughs> what they were getting. Really, that was um, that's another show. That one was mishandled worse, I think, than the Dana Carvey show. Yeah, because at least it it aired in order. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just um, it, it just it's interesting because like you you go back and watch it now, and and a lot of it is dated in the sense of the political humor. Because it was dealing with the politicians at the time. You had Bob Dole, which I, I loved their representation of Bob Dole. It kept getting weirder and weirder as the eight episodes went on. That made the, me laugh. The last episode where he's he's the uh, undercover, undercover Dole. Oh, my God. That's genius. <laughs> I loved it. And then the way they just showed like uh, George W. Uh, no, it was, no, it was George H.W. Bush. It was, Herbert, it, was, it was not W. It was his dad. Uh, I think it was his dad. Was his dad? I, either way, like how they would just like they do like the training montages of them with like the really shitty green screen. They'd be running yeah. in place, but the green the, the the they'd be showing stuff like they purposely like they somehow like they knew they were going cheap on purpose, and that made it funnier. I right. Know, like and so the political stuff, you know, it, like the the Clinton stuff, like some of it was okay, some of it wasn't. Not because it was Clinton, it's just because I felt like some of it was a little like it just didn't. I didn't. It didn't hit well with me. It just wasn't that funny. They didn't hit their stride until they got like halfway through it. Yeah. I would say. Um, but so this is a show that you had Colbert and, um, uh, Carell who are unknowns and they got to kind of flex their muscles. You had Robert Schmeigel who was helping writing on Saturday Night Live, but he wasn't like a big, a big creative force, but he worked well with Dana Carvey. You had, uh, they, they kind of downplayed this. I don't know if this was by design, but Louis CK was one of the big guys behind it too. Um, and then also another guy that they, like they mentioned a little bit and I just want to bring him up here is, um, oh, what was it? Uh. I had this here. Where'd he go? Um, shoot. It was, um, yeah, good, good, uh, good talk here, Paul. Uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the other guys that was behind the scenes. He's one of the producers. His name's like Dino Stamatopoulos or something. And that's not right. Oh, here it is. Dino Stamatopoulos. Okay. I bring him up just because I kept seeing him. I'm like, I know him. I don't know. Did you watch any community at all? Oh yeah. That's Starburns from community. Are you kidding me? Yeah. 
and, and like you oh watch you God. watch community and the, you actually read about this guy he's actually executive producer on a lot of stuff and actually wrote a lot and he just kind of he was actually kind of working on community and they kind of just stuck him in the cast and here's a guy who i just thought he was just like a random like you know, they brought in like you know some of the people and he starburns right and he's actually was actually one of the guys behind the scenes for the dana carvey show that I don't know why they didn't, either he wasn't available for the documentary or what, but he was actually one of the guys behind it too, as well with Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. That was another big one too. And that's um, that's what surprised me too, because he had this Dino Steopopoulos, I'm, I'm messing up his name, so I apologize. He Just was, call him Starburns. Starburns. He actually was a producer on Anama Alyssa, which was a film that I think uh, Charlie Kaufman wrote. Or, okay. or was associated with, so like they've had this like can still work together after. But Charlie Kaufman's interesting because he wrote um, adaptation. Uh, was it connected to New York? Uh, I think he wrote uh, being John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich, he wrote Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Some really bizarre out there things, and they just kind of mentioned him in passing. He was kind yeah. of writing for a sketch comedy show, and I think that they, the reason they downplayed him is because he wasn't there to talk about it, right? Um, but that is amazing to me that you have this guy who makes these really interesting and inventive films and writes, the, or I should say writes them. And then you got Steve Carell, which he he's funny, but it's like Carell's known for being like, like the, like the average looking guy that's really, really good at overreacting. Yeah. Steve Carell's really good at that or, or on the office where he just kind of, I don't know, like Michael Scott's a unique character, but he was also good at kind of going full tilt, whatever, you know, given enough rain. And then you got Colbert who admitted at the time he couldn't do any impersonations, So he had to work really, really hard to do the couple we did in front of the camera. Yeah. I it just, it's, you're right. This was, you could always go back and say hindsight's 2020, but there was a crazy amount of like potential. Yeah. There that just never got a chance to really fully come together, you know? And I guess that's the biggest shame is that we'll, we won't get any more of it. You know? Yeah, and you know the thing that uh, I I kind of thought about while I was watching it is is that like a you know because we both did, did do a quick dive uh, on those eight episodes that are on Hulu um, and watched all of them and one of the things I came away with is is that like yes the political stuff doesn't play as well but I think that that's also the truth of like. If you look back at Saturday Night Live and you watch some of the political stuff from, say, the Clinton era, it doesn't play as well as it did in the 90s. Or, you know, I guarantee you, if we make it out of the next eight years alive, um, <laughs> the uh, Saturday Night Live stuff with Trump 20 years from now won't be as funny as it is today. Yeah, I mean, what I. So it doesn't play yeah. as well. So I don't think they were trying to make a point with the politics. Oh, I think I, they were trying to be absurd with it. Yeah. I, kind of like how Will Ferrell was absurd with W. Like his his W is always going to kind of stick out because he kind of he just made W into a, a really like just his own character. It had nothing to do with the president. It was just Will Ferrell playing the president. Right. You know? And, and but I'm just saying some of the Clinton stuff, like there was the roast skit where they had Howard Stern, which the guy who was doing Howard Stern did a really good impersonation of Howard he did. Stern. I, and he also did a really good, there was another character he did too, and I'm like, I've never heard of this guy before, and I don't know what happened to him. Uh, that one was okay, but it just kind of got, I don't, Dana Carvey is Bill Clinton, I just didn't like. But yeah. everything else did I was fine with. But, I mean, I think that like what worked best were specific skits that were built around, I, I don't want to say characters, but like around ideas. Like the, the stupid pranksters, <laughs> the more they did it, it just got funnier and funnier to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and they only did the skit one time, but they had a skit called Skinheads from Maine, which just, it's <laughs> that, Stephen you Colbert. You couldn't do that now. Yeah. It's it's him and Dana Carvey sitting on a porch, um, dressed as like old men skinheads, and the conversation they have is just... But like Maine, like just yeah. that polite neighbor, like, you know, saying something really nice about the, the sunset and then saying something really terrible about a particular group of people. Right. And then Stephen Colbert would be like, hey, yep. Yeah. Like, just as he's whittling, you know, and it's like very like absurd. And uh, I just, I, I really appreciated that like the, they would transition from one skit to the next very much like Muddy Python. Like, and now like, and now here's something funny. Like they would just kind of stop one yeah. skit and immediately roll into the next one. And I just, and I appreciated, um, what was it? The one with the homeless dating service, like basically the homeless crazy guys, they yeah. partner them up. So when one says something crazy, the other one will respond to it, <laughs> but they're having two different conversations. That was funny. Um, there was just a lot in here that I really, really liked. And there's also a lot that just I didn't like. But yeah. I I appreciated because it just like I will always appreciate the attempt to do something different. I, I do think that you're absolutely right when they said that they didn't really read the room in the sense of where they were and what they were like where of what opportunity they were really given. I, they they didn't read that very well, but you can't say they didn't make the show that they didn't want to make. Right. You know? And I think that's that's the thing. Like, uh, there's a point during the show where, or the documentary, I should say, uh, where one of the writers for Seinfeld came aboard um, because he loved the show so much, but his agent was like... was like the number one show at the time. Yeah. yeah. But his agent was like, no, we told them that you were going to fix the show. And he's like, what, fix what? It's brilliant. Um, and I do think things like... I think Grandma the Clown is genius. It was just the wrong time for it because that is that is the exact kind of uncomfortable humor that the Office was built on. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that one's just it's just an old lady that they found that dresses up like a clown <laughs> and she has a walker with clown shoes on it and like the horns are on the walker and then she says things to the kids of just like, oh, the days are going so fast That's now. True. <laughs> like like we're all spiraling in the darkness or whatever she says and then she just honks the one horn weakly and these kids are just all looking at her and it's like it's so like it, it's it's wrong but it's great you know <laughs> like the fact that you get Bill Hader do documentary and he had nothing to do with the show but other than saying he loved it growing up and all he wanted to do was talk about it that says something that you had somebody who who is carved out his own um, like legacy on Saturday Night Live because yeah. Bill Hader's awesome right and for him to be like, yeah, I'll talk about Dana Carvey's show. Like, it yeah. Was like, so good. Um, yeah, Grandma the Clown. That's, you know, I don't, there'll never be something like that ever again. That's bizarre. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we'd be amiss if we didn't, or remiss if we didn't uh, uh, mention that uh, the ambiguously gay duo came from from the Dana Carvey show. And that was a huge thing for Saturday Night Live for a long time. Yeah. I didn't know that's where it came from. I didn't know that Colbert and Carell originally voiced them and stayed voicing them throughout yeah. their run of Ace and Gary. And so, yeah, so Robert Schmeigel, he, um, he, you know, they came up with this for the Dana Carvey show and it, it you know, it obviously didn't do well there, but when it got brought Saturday Night Live, it, it took off like gangbusters. And then TV Funhouse is the, was the whole thing where they would do, the Ambiguously Gay Duo, uh, the Ex-Presidents, if you remember that. Ex-Presidents is uh, a good one. Fun with real-time audio. There was all these weird things that they would do. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm getting choked up about this. I feel like that laid the groundwork for Saturday Night Live, even though they had done like their commercial, like their fake commercials and some of their little their tape spots before. 
I feel like this opened up the audience to whenever the Lonely Island got there and started doing their SNL digital shorts. Yeah. And that now that's like a big part of their show. Like, I mean, maybe not as strong as it was with with those guys, but I feel like that really put the groundwork in place for us to have some really, really fun, great comedy because someone was willing to take a chance once and be strange with it. And I and I think that <clears throat> why am I getting so choked up about this? Um, I apologize. I if it wasn't for the Dana Carvey show breaking apart, I don't know how much, I mean, just think about it. Like Colbert went on to do, Colbert and Carell went on to do Daily Show and then Colbert had his own show and now he's doing Late Night David Letterman, which Dana Carvey was supposed to be the heir apparent to that and he didn't yeah. want it. Uh, Carell you know, is an established actor in his own right, uh, doing even like a dramatic stuff now. Schmeigel has insult the, um, com, triumphed the insult comic dog, which is amazing. Yes. Uh, and he's doing well. <clears throat> And Starburns is Starburns. He's doing well, I guess. Uh, but then it's just like, had the show not failed, I don't know how much else other great stuff we would have gotten. Oh, yeah. That's I that's mean, interesting to me is that one failure like detonated into so much other like things that we love. Yeah. I mean, there was, uh, and I don't want to, you know, build it up too much, but there was, there's a lot of brilliance in just the components that made that show. Yeah. Even if things didn't work, like, you know the 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 people that were behind it all kind of blew up and uh you know smigel has a comment where he's like you know if you'd have told me that you know if you'd have asked me if uh in 10 years you know Carell and colbert would be the biggest things ever you know i would have said ah probably in five years like <laughs> like he knew like you know what they had and it's it's unfortunate and i feel like had that show maybe gone on a different network or had it been like a comedy central thing or something i th- i think it would have gone for a really long time um and i i you know i i, th- I think it was very um sp- spoke really to dana carvey's character where he you know he would actually apologize to those guys and be like i'm sorry i ruined your careers like <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, and both Colbert and, and you know, um, and uh, Carell are both like, I'll forever be grateful to him for giving me my start because yeah. everything that I have now came from that. And I, and I'd be remiss not to mention like the the one uh, female cast member that was in a lot, uh, Heather Mo- Morgan, which I was not that familiar with. She has a bit where it's listed. It's um, what was it? Number the show sef- show number seven. Famous first ladies as dogs. That Something about it gets funnier and funnier as you watch it. It's just her dressed up as different first ladies, acting like different dog breeds, and it's just her face just sells it. It's so good. It's so it's so stupid, but it's wonderful. I will say that I felt she was severely underused. Like it it was very much a lot of you know men, and I'm not saying that to be politically correct, but I mean like she's not as omnipresent as Carell and Colbert are in, in those episodes. Uh, yeah. But I mean, like she, when given the chance, she was fine and yeah. she was very, I, she's reminded, she reminds me of someone else and I cannot replace her, but it, it, she, if you do anything, just watch, like, I guess watch the whole thing. Cause it's only eight episodes, but that, that her viewing the first ladies as dogs, this is really funny. And just so that felt very much like Monty Python where they'd have, all the the women go out into the field and re- recreate battles from World War II, where they would just smack each other with their purses. Right, you know that's what that <laughs> felt like to me. And I, I enjoy like I also don't know if this this kind of show could exist now because this, this like unfortunately if you even if you do like a political skit like a Bob Dole skit, 
then it's going to become this thing of like, well, what are you trying to say? I think there they were just trying to speak to the like just being absurd and being silly. I don't know if you're allowed to be silly anymore and just right. be absurd. I mean, I guess you can be, but I feel like everything has to pack a punch. And the Dana Carvey show was kind of, if it was poking fun at anything, it was the establishment of the way comedy was at the time. And, and especially with like their quiet news. And then the one investigative report that they did where they kept changing how they would present the the hidden identity of somebody. Well, first it was their voice was changed. <laughs> and then it was like a cartoon character. And then it was Isaac Hayes. They just kept like changing and making it more and more ridiculous. And so there's joy in this. But I, if there's one thing to describe the show, it's absurd. Yeah. And, I, and then, and that is, you just, I don't know if you find that anymore. Like absurd for absurd sake. That's what it felt like. Yeah, I mean, I I imagine, you know, certainly, you know, after, you know, Dave Chappelle um, hit so big on Comedy Central and, uh, God, I feel like that was 15 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's certainly been a model of, like, this is kind of the way you do things now. Um, and that's that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I feel like there are a lot of shows that use that model and, like, uh, the Dana Carvey show was certainly... It was sort of like a, like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? A precursor to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did have that sort of absurdity where it was like, it was great too because it wasn't like Saturday Night Live where like you'd cut to a commercial and then go to a different skit. Like they would be like, you know, what you would think like maybe three quarters through away of a skit on Saturday Night Live or something that would be like that on Saturday Night Live on Dana Carvey and then cut to a different skit. Yeah. Or go into something else. And, uh, it was really interesting the way they had it laid out. It was almost like a mixtape in, in certain ways yeah. uh, of comedy. And then that's, I mean, not to, to get into this too much, but there's another series that did last a little bit longer that has a similar type of like rebellious streak through it, and that's The State. And I'm not saying The State... Uh, you know, I love the state. There, it, it definitely has aged a little bit, and it's not always as funny. But it was that whole like everything kind of just goes to the next, and then you might actually see one skit ending on a TV screen that the next people are watching, and it goes into the next skit. Yeah, and like you get that kind of momentum with this, and with it being a half hour show, it just it's it's um it, it was tight, and the way it would kind of just like pass the baton between the next skit to the next skit was fine. Or like if, if the, nothing would overstay its welcome for the most part. There was a couple that were a little long, but it's like they had a half hour. What can you do? And that's the other thing too. I like Smigel. He he was like like don't hide the joke. Tell people what's going on. Like uh, <laughs> the waiters who are disgusted by uh, the, talking about food, they just straight up say what's going on before you get there. Which then the expectation is you're going to see these two guys. You're going to see Carell and Colbert just get more and more nauseated as they're talking about food. And that because you expect it, it makes it funnier. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Like kind of mentality of like, no, don't hide it. Just tell people what's going on <laughs> and then they get to see it, you know? And I feel like he, cause he went back to Silent Live after and uh, with the TV Funhouse, but I'm sure he helped out with some other stuff too. Uh, there is some of that absurdity that still comes in a little bit on Silent Live. Like, like, um, I don't know. You, I don't know if you've watched anything recently up there. Like the, the yeah. James Franco gift wrapping skit for Christmas where he nicks his finger and starts bleeding all over. Yes. That has no reason to exist other than, to, just to see how far you could push someone bleeding out right. over an entor- entire like skit, and I I think that skit's hilarious. And then to find out that Leslie Jones almost threw, threw up, up. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it worse, <laughs> but also kind of great. 
Uh, the, the the most recent episode had Sam Rockwell, and I, I put in my notes here. There's a skit where he's playing a scientist that's trying to make quote unquote a doghead person. Yes, did you see that? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's like uh, it's just it's just um, it's an old thing people do where they put a dog at a table and they put a coat over the dog and then someone re- puts their hands up and looks like the dog has hands. But the whole thing is treated seriously like, oh no, we're making a dog head person. You see, <laughs> you see it finishing a Rubik's Cube and you see it eating a sandwich. And they're like, no, we spent millions to make this happen. That feels like the kind of idea that they would throw against a wall and be like, yeah, we're going to make a dog head person skit. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff I appreciate that that could still exist. But I, I feel like Saturday Night Live doesn't always take like what other what other sketch comedy show is still going on TV? You know, like that you could reliably think about that's still functioning. They're the only ones that really stick around. Other shows may come and go for a season or two. Like I know they try to bring back Mad TV. Mad TV was never the strongest to begin with. You can fight me over it. It wasn't that great of a show. Had a couple okay characters, and then they drove them into the dirt. Like I'm so tired of Miss Swan. They she was in. I swear, like every single episode had a Miss Swan skit, and then uh, then Stewart. Yeah. Was it Stuart? Was his name Stuart? Stuart, yeah. 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 Like, you fine, but you drove him into the ground. Um, I, I just can't think of another sketch comedy show, like, uh, other than something that might be on cable, you know? Like, I just, Silent Live is the mainstay, so they don't have to always take chances. And I, you know, I guess ultimately the Dana Carvey show shows you when you swing as hard as you can, it misread what's in front of you. But then the 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 fear of failure is that. Um, is of, of doing something that people aren't even talking about now, which I mean, I'm not saying the Dana Carvey show is remembered and remembered and remembered, but it was enough for people to make a documentary about it. It was influential enough because of the people involved. Like, are we going back and talking about um, the the Fox uh, sketch comedy series called The News, N-E-W-Z? No, I'm the only one who remembers that show. People that probably made it don't even remember it either. I'm pretty you sure know. you just made that up. I didn't make it up. I want to look it up right now as we're talking. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I just I, I feel like, you know, being weird and being remembered is probably way better than being normal and being forgotten when it comes to comedy. And I will you know? say, too, the idea that they were like, we're going to have a sponsor for the show. And the fact that it kept changing, I thought was just genius. The fact that, like, A, they did an entire, like, bit about the color of Mountain Dew when they're sponsoring the show, um, followed by their last sponsor was just a Chinese restaurant <laughs> that they all like to eat at. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the news existed. By the way, there's a Wikipedia page, so it existed. No one remembers this thing except for me. Uh, and was yeah, anyway, anyway, so it did exist. And well, I didn't think you, you know, I didn't really think you'd made it up. Nancy Sullivan was on that. She's the one that was on Mad TV. She reminds me of the other, oh yeah, the other actress that okay. was at um, the Dana Carvey show. That's who I was thinking of. Um, so, and Brad Sherwood, who was also on Whose Lives Anyways, a lot was on the news. Anyway, so enough about, we're not going to talk about the news. We're going to talk about, um, Dana Carvey show. So I liked it. I'm glad that you mentioned this as a, a topic because I, I, I would rather talk about failure than, than, I don't know, playing it safe, you know? And this, this was definitely, it was a beautiful failure. Yeah. And I think it's worth its time. I think it's worth its place to talk about. And I mean, the documentary is an hour and a half eight episodes you can burn through that in two and a half hours like it's it's worth the time to watch it even if you never watch it again you get to see the germans who yell nice things you get to see the waiters who are nauseated by food like there's some good stuff in there that still holds up you get you know 
and and Dana Carvey, you don't give him enough credit, even though maybe some of his impersonations aren't always my favorite. The, the guy's a chameleon. Like yeah. he, um, all the Pied Piper skit in the news report, that one made me laugh really, really hard. <laughs> really good. When they used the Pied Piper to try to draw people out from a standoff hiding in a building, he starts playing his little pipe, and then the one guy's dancing out of the cabin, and then all the other guys run and grab him and bring him back in the cabin. I was not expecting that. It made me laugh really, really, really hard. So... Yeah, thank you for this. Was a fun, a fun uh, reason to sit down and just watch it. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, I, I'm glad that uh, we took a deep, deep dive on it. I'm because I didn't realize actually that those episodes were on Hulu. So when you sent me that and you're like, hey, you know, if you get a chance to try and watch some of the episodes too, I was like, done. That was my Sunday. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, there you go. Dana Carvey show. Check it out. Uh, yeah. Too funny to fail. It's on Hulu. Both are on Hulu. Uh, I think the Danny Carvey show is free to watch on Hulu if you go like so you don't have to have a subscription to watch that. Um, I did so. notice that at the bottom of it though it said crackle, which I thought was weird. Maybe yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, right. Um, I don't know if I don't know if this, the the documentary is free, but you know, go check it out. So anyway, uh, if you guys remember the Danny Carvey show. Uh, you know, let us know your thoughts and feelings, or if there's other sketch comedy shows uh, as opposed to the news that you remember that did well. Um, I, like I'm sure people bring up Stella. Uh, that's one people talk about every so often. I didn't get a chance to see that has uh Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter in it. Um, there, there's some other good ones out there. So recommend good sketch comedy. You know, I I like it. I'll check it out. So hit us up on our Facebook page. It's Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, we have a website. It's invasionofthepodcast.com that goes to our blog. More on that in a second. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, uh, Satchel, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, the Dollar Store, probably not. Uh, find us on there. Uh, rate and review us would be great. Five stars would help us a lot. Um, you know, it, or whatever you feel is appropriate. I I would give myself five stars, but I'm biased. So, um, yeah, if you guys could rate and review us, that'd be helpful. Um, yeah. So, and then Steve, I know there's things that you also like to tell people about. Or I force you to tell people about. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry, at slasher. Uh, go there, read the comic, uh, catch up. Uh, we're gonna be doling out uh, um, as we go throughout the year. We're gonna be doling out the story in eight page chunks, as, as opposed to releasing you know one page every great once in a while. So um, go get caught up on the story before we start releasing some more material. There you go. Perfect. So uh, enough about um, too funny to fail. Uh, we're going to talk about failure in a different way here in a second. I don't have a good sound to go with this, so we're just going to go with this. Hooray! Hooray denied! Because uh, you'll, you'll, it'll make more sense in a second. I want to make it make sense. Uh, so, uh, last year, uh, well, the last three months of the year, uh, 2017 was the year of the Western. I know I wrote a lot about it and talked a lot about it. Um, people were asking me what we're going to do for 2018. And so, there were some suggestions. I, I decided, I pitched to Steve, he liked this a lot. 2018 uh, is going to be the year of the knockoff. And what that means is, uh, you know, something famous that came out like movie wise, the moment that movie comes out, there's like seven different other movies that are just like it. They're trying to chase why people like the thing they liked. Right. So I think there's a certain, I'm fascinated by like the, the, like not just a cash grab because these, all the stuff we're going to see probably is, but clearly there was something enough about the first thing to make them think, Hey, we can make our own thing, but just different enough, but kind of the same that people want to watch as well. Mm -hmm. So I like that kind of taking what has been established and twisting it and trying to make something different ish out of it. I like that attempt. So I don't know how you feel about like, um, 
not not second attempts, but uh, I, I like the journey um, so far. I, I know we've only done one thing, but when I was watching the Year of the Western, there's a lot of Italian films in there, and that's what tipped my hand a little bit. Where they're like, "Oh, well, westerns are popular. Let's make a thousand westerns." Uh, I'm having more fun with this stuff that I'm not familiar with because I have no idea what I'm about to get into versus a lot of mainstream things where I've read about it to death. Mm-hmm. So that, that I'm excited for this. I'm excited for the, what the, the not what if, but more like the, Oh, they did that. So I don't know how you feel about the, the coming year of, or if you prefer knockoffs or if you enjoy the, the, um, the second attempts with the lesser budget. They're, they're interesting a lot of times. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you'll get that thing where it's like, oh, um, and it's it's one of those things that uh, like uh, in the horror realm, a lot of people will talk about how, you know, Halloween and Friday the 13th kind of sparked the idea that like you just got to pick a holiday, <laughs> you know, like New Year's Evil, April's Fool's Day, you know. Um, Arbor Day. Yeah. <laughs> but there's much more to the films that spawned it that the um, knockoffs either missed out on or they just learned the wrong lesson from. That, so that's, that's a good that's, way of putting it, the wrong lesson. Yeah. yeah uh, so sometimes that's just as fascinating because it's like it's either a train wreck or every once in a while you get a gem of something where you're like, oh, this is actually a really interesting take on it. Granted, a lot of times it leans more towards the train wreck, but. And, and you, know, you can even argue that the knockoffs actually become the genre. Yeah. Like, that's like you got the one movie that sets the stage and then everybody else tries to follow it. So you get a bunch of them and everyone's like, oh, well, those are those kind of films. That was all like everybody's like, we're chasing that one thing. You know? Right. So. With that being said, um, I picked a Western. No, I didn't pick a Western. Um, <laughs> I, I, I asked friend of show, Kevin, who helped me with the year of the Western, and because he's watched so many movies, to give me some suggestions for the year of the, the knockoff. And you guys can give us suggestions, too. This is the this is the part that I want to kind of stress. Like, this is, this is not genre dependent. This is like, so if you guys say, hey, you know, uh, if you like Gremlins, you should watch Ghoulies. You know, like that's because I feel like Ghoulies is directly chasing Gremlins, kind of like how Critters directly chase Gremlins. You know, and I watched we talked about Critters on the show before. That give us suggestions. Like I'm, I'm down for for anything because I like. I just I don't know. This is fascinating to me to see what a creative bunch of people with some money were like. Let's just try again. So, uh, with that said, uh, the the first movie we picked. Um, to watch for this discussion and we'll get to the knockoff in a second is 1982's uh, Conan the Barbarian. Yes. Uh, uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, like I big breakout role for him, I guess, you know, cause I mean, this is when he was still transfers. Well, it's I mean, just funny that you say it. Like, I guess people, well, he was in the villain before that. He was in Hercules in New York, which you should watch for us. Something great, <laughs> but it's terrible. They, so terrible. They dubbed his voice. <laughs> he, like, and it's, he sounds like, I don't know. sounds like Woody Allen, like talking. Like, and, it's, 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 it, and they didn't even put Schwarzenegger as his name. It was Arnold strong, you know? So he was getting into movies and you could tell later on that he definitely paid for someone to teach him how to act in films. And I'm not saying he was necessarily bad in this movie. It's just that, like I was telling Steve before we started recording, I was like, man, they did everything in their power to keep him from talking. Right. But it's but he's a specimen, so you can just have him with the sword staring down people, and that's badass, you know? Like, no wonder the score in this film plays for the whole thing, because he doesn't talk much. Right. And it, But he's Conan the Barbarian. How much does he have to say? 
You know? Yeah, I mean, actually, he does it to great effect as well in the original Terminator. Like, oh, yeah. The first yeah, Terminator, yeah. he's... I mean, granted, there's a lot of other dialogue from other characters, but I think he's got, like, a maximum of, like, two, three lines. He doesn't say much. Yeah. You're right. No, that, that makes sense. So, um, so I, I sat down and watched Conan the Barbarian because it's been years since I've seen it. Just want to say we're also recording this on uh, the birthday of James Earl Jones, a.k.a. Thalsa Doom, who is the bad guy in Conan the Barbarian. He's 87 today. Um, man, I don't know how he's going to keep playing Vader. He's getting up there in years. Uh, well, Thalsa Doom, I think, is probably one of my all-time favorite villain names. Like, there's just something about it. Like, yeah. I guess, yes, if you want to say, like, like Darth Vader. Like, you hear Thalsa Doom, and you're like... You're that like, guy's That's badass. A, yeah. Yeah. So he um, and I'm gonna say now, I think Thulsa Doom has a more badass power than Vader does. Thulsa Doom has the ability to take snakes and turn them into arrows and shoot them at people from his bow. And then when they pull them out, they become a snake again. Like that's like he just I don't know how he did it. It was crazy. I'm like, how do you how do you make snakes snakes snakes? How do you make snakes just stay arrow straight like magic? Like I that's <laughs> like Vader never once shot a snake arrow at anybody. That's, that's true. You know, so but one thing missing from Star Wars, it's snake arrows. <laughs> snake arrows. So I you know, I liked Conan the Barbarian. I I, I think there's some rough edges to the film. I you know, it's maybe a product of its time. The soundtrack and it's amazing. Um, they did a, like the brutality of it. I, even though I read later that they edited some of that out, um, mm-hmm. some of the brutality that's amazing. The, the, the use of practical effects of whenever, uh, James Earl Jones goes to change into a snake for no reason whatsoever to escape the throne room for, I don't know why he did it, but he did. That was cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it's a cool movie. It's just, so the elements that I think, and also the beginning too, whenever, uh, Thalsa Doom and his crew, his crew, the, the temple was the followers of set coming to Conan's village when he's a kid and they cut his mom's head off. Like you don't see the initial beheading, but you see the head drop into frame in yeah. slow motion. That is beautiful cinematography with it, with the chopped head, but still cool. You know, I just good movie, like well shot. Uh, the sets were really neat looking. The nighttime shots were beautiful. Like when you see the large crowd of all the followers, that's an actual large crowd. There's no like, computer effects weren't sophisticated at the time like or even existent so everything was practical i dug it um and steve i mean you own the movie so i know you like it so yeah yeah i mean i really really god i hate saying it i really really like it um but yeah i as i've gotten older i appreciate that more movie more and more especially like when you mentioned the practical effects uh the snake head and I mean, it's not in the movie a ton, but the snakehead that they have for James Earl Jones at one point is just really, really cool looking. It's a great looking, yeah, practical effect. Um, you know, and a lot of the things that you mentioned are the things that I loved about it: the cinematography, the the brutalness of it, the um, just sort of sheer balls of it. Uh, there's well, something- I also like too that they had him, they had Conan and uh, Sebutai. Like his buddy, they runs like they just become friends. You know, he's yes. like, "I'm good with an arrow." He's like, "I like swords. We should be friends." I liked how they kind of had them wandering the countryside, not sure what they're going to do, and then they kind of then. But you know, Conan's been waiting for you know to get to get even with the the, the followers of Set, but he didn't know how to go about it, and then he started figuring things out. And I mean, it all kind of falls in his lap, but that's okay. Like it's it's an adventure. But I liked. I don't know. It just it was. He escaped his being a slave and fighting in pits and just got away. And he was kind of living life for a minute. 
and they didn't know what was going to come next. It's just that they were just going to go figure out what was going to happen. And that's kind of refreshing for a story because I feel like now it's like it, a lot of the stuff would be like, if, if I didn't see the remake of Conan the Barbarian. Uh, I just feel like it'd be plot, 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 plot. And this was more, it was trying to set the stage for the world that they were in. And he happens to figure out, oh, that's the people that killed my mom and my dad. You know, like I, I dug that. I liked the wandering portion of it. I don't think you'd see that too much in a movie anymore. Yeah. And I, I realized that, you know, this is something that we talk about an awful lot of, you know, sequels 40 years later and, you know, remakes and things like that. But like uh, there was talk uh, just up until like last couple of years ago that they were trying to get, you know, a third Conan with Schwarzenegger off the ground called Conan the King. And I will say outside of any other like Schwarzenegger character that they've tried to bring back or are trying to bring back. Uh, I want Conan the King real Why badly. Why not? You even had uh, Max von Sydow playing an older king that basically tells Conan, like, I used to be you. Yeah. And it's like, and when you get older, all you have left is the love of your daughter. Like, he's like, you, like the, the golden, the, the gems all lose their glitter and it doesn't mean anything. Like, basically, he's like, I've conquered, I've had, I've lost my daughter, go get her. And it was like, it's Max von Sydow. And it's like he's in the movie for like three seconds, but it's like he talking about like Patrick Stewart classing up the emoji movie. You know, Max von Sydow elevates and then James Earl Jones letting him just like monologue elevates that film. And it's it's like I want to see Conan the King because I feel like now Schwarzenegger would have the gravity to pull off a guy who is well past his time of being the head warrior. But he's conquered and he has to have it would be like the unforgiven of Conan movies. It'd be so good. Like the last ride out to still prove that you may not have it all, but you're going to win. Right. I, I, I would love that. Like give, give me Alan Taylor to direct that. Who's the guy who, um, he's directed a lot of game of Thrones and directed Thor, the dark world. Get me someone that knows how to do like, like fantasy. I would, I would dig that so much. Or if John Milius, I I believe he's still alive. Just get him. Yeah. I didn't know Oliver Stone co-wrote that script. That's another thing too. Is just like talk about we talk about like bringing politics into things. It's like Oliver Stone's like the most political like you know filmmaker. Well, maybe not the most, but he's very political in his filmmaking. It's like he worked on Conan the Barbarian. Like I don't. That was like that, that blew my mind. Right. And, and John Milius, like he was like the the forgotten of the three of Spielberg and um oh shoot. Um, not Lucas. Maybe it was Lucas. Like Milius was there with him, and he just didn't have the same success as they did. Yeah. Um. I think part of that had to do with his own politics, actually. <laughs> so fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Conan Barbarian. Go see it. It's a good movie. If you've not seen it, go see <laughs> go, it. Go see. Go it. see it. It's in theaters not now. Uh. So, um. So that. So we just talked about this. So the the, the we had our appetizer. Now we yeah, have the, the feast. The feast. Um. This film, so the, the point of reference, Conan the Barbarian was released in the U.S. Uh, May 14th, 1982. This other film was rushed into production and finished because it was Italian, and they're like, we got an idea, let's just go. Ator, the Fighting Eagle, was released on October 7th, 1982 in Italy. So less than like five months later, this film shows up in Italy, and I don't know what the production schedule was like, but it couldn't have been very much. Right. Um, I also want to point out that I found that it has a 3.1 out of 10 on imdb.com, uh, which I think that's a low score for this film. Um, <laughs> so Ator is directly trying to be a Conan the Barbarian uh, type film. Uh, you got your guy that kind of has I mean, the, the main actor. Uh, I have his name here. Where is it? Um, Miles, Miles O'Keefe. O'Keefe. 
he actually has a good physique, but since he's like kind of tall and lanky, he does not he does not make the barbarian type mold. Like Schwarzenegger is just I don't know he just he's just a triangle with muscles. Yeah. You know, like Milton uh, Miles O'Keefe is not. He is, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, he's certainly in better shape than I am, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I, I I guess it's sort of the Mark Singer sort of Beastmaster look. I guess would be better. That's fair. You know, yeah. So this. Uh, I don't. I, where do where do you start with this? Oh, so you know what? I'll start with. Where do you start? The beginning. The beginning, and I want to mention this because the beginning of the film, a toward the Fighting Eagle, which by the way, like it's free to watch on Amazon Prime. I cannot recommend enough watching this movie. It's an hour and a half. Worth it. Worth it. Worth it. Worth it. Uh, just because it tries, but then it also doesn't try at the same time. I don't know how to describe it. Like it's it's you know it's like it, it tries to have all these elements but then it's like there's other times where it's like man i don't know what's going on here um the opening dialogue is mentioning about this like the 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 in the valley of the spider all this stuff and how the cult of the spider is like ruling for a thousand years and then and then a man will be born named Terran who will challenge this the the, you know, the spider and then he will fail but then he will cast his seed to the wind and then his son will be the one to bring everybody to freedom. It's like, that's a weird prophecy to have where it's like a thousand years, a guy's going to try really, really hard. He's going to screw up. He's going to cast the seed to the wind, which I don't want to know what that means. And then his son's going to be the one to lead everybody, you know, to, to victory. It's like, how would you feel to be that guy? You're, you're like, what's your name? My name's Taryn. My parents gave it to me. Well, that's not a good name because this prophecy says you're everything you're going to try in life. You're going to fail. Like right. that feels really. I feel like they were just trying to add to this lore of Ator. Well, that was the thing yeah. that, like, w- upon uh, watching it, was that uh, it had a really long, drawn out narration at the beginning <laughs> of it. I was like, "This narration's still going." Yeah, like, I feel it like it's going. a good solid minute of narration. It is, um, and it's all done in this voice, <laughs> you know, in an age of man, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of exposition right up front, and you're like, "What?" What the hell are they talking about? I don't what. None of it makes. I mean, it makes sense, but it's just like it feels like I had to do a rewind on it. <laughs> Me too. But it, I mean, it makes sense, but it doesn't. It doesn't really. It's trying to build a world immediately from the rip, and they're just adding words. You know, that's what it feels like to me. And, you know, Somebody got a thesaurus for Christmas. Yeah, and so like Ator's born. Everyone's like, oh, like he has a mark of Terran on him, whatever mm-hmm. that is. It's it's a little rubbing tattoo when he's like it's supposed to be on his heart, but it's like up when he's like you know shoulder, yeah. like his collarbone, and and then somebody just shows up and was like, "I'm going to take him and protect him." And the mom's like, "Okay, like it's there's no there's no discussion about this." To be fair though, like the women who were birthing the child saw him and they're like, "Here, you take him. We're leaving." Yeah. So the guy <laughs> the guy takes him, um, and uh, it just it's he goes and then places him with another family where he's like, "Hey, I see you have a kid." I'm going to give you another one and you'll never see me again, but you guys don't have to worry about anything. I'll give you, make sure you have enough food for like, and it was like, and the mother's like, well, okay. And the dad's like, well, you always wanted a son. Like it was like very nonchalantly, like here's a baby care for it as well. And then he's like, and you'll never see me again. No one questions the stranger bringing them a baby. What I also thought was an interesting choice was, was that, uh, and this is not an anti-breastfeeding statement whatsoever, <laughs> but for whatever reason, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll have him come in and we'll have him talk to the mom and the dad, uh, but we'll also have her breastfeeding a kid while the conversation's going on, which I'm like, it's really an odd choice for a scene that's 
like maybe a minute long and yeah. like she could have just been holding the baby and nope. I, I thought that like for a second there I'm like is this supposed to be like a weird way of getting nudity into the movie? Well or? it's funny you say that so the guy who wrote, wrote and directed his name is Joe D'Amato he has you know, it's actually he has a much more let's say Italian actually yeah his name's Joe D'Amato but he was as David Hills in this film for whatever reason he directed a lot of softcore and hardcore pornography Oh, like before this and then okay. after this. But he also did a lot of these quick genre knockoff films, right? So like when you say that and then later on with the Lady Gladiator combat going on, there's some exploitive things that are going on in this film. And then also later when Ator is being seduced, you get that vibe as well. Yeah. Um, so he also directed a film called Endgame, which sounds like a Mad Max ripoff in 2020 Texas Gladiators. I want to watch both of those films. And he directed like three of the four Ator films. So I kind of, I've heard the rest of them are kind of garbage. I kind of want to watch all these other films. But yeah, he had, he made his bread and butter doing a lot of like softcore Cinemax. And, and I actually know. don't think you see much. I think it's, it's, you know, side at the most. But I just, it seemed like an odd choice to me to just be like, you know, having her do that while the conversation's going on. Yeah. So anyway, so I know we're like not to we're not going to go through like the whole thing. We're like two minutes yeah. into the movie at this but, point. So then it's like, oh, okay, we're going to get like a moment of him growing up. No, immediately Ator's all grown up, has beautiful hair, and he's in the like in the woods with the girl, like and this girl's beautiful as well. And he's like, oh, I brought you, I brought, I brought you a surprise, or I brought you, a, I brought you a gift. And she's like, what? And he's like, it's a bear cub. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> My favorite part is, is it's, it's he hands her a bear cub like it's just a normal thing. Yeah, here's a bear cub. And then she's like, oh, thanks. And then, uh, and then it's like, what was it? Um, he says like basically like I, I love you. And then she's like, well, well, like, will father let us marry? He's like, like I'll talk to, I'll talk to dad. Like basically, yeah. it's like, like you find out this is the girl that he was raised with, their brother and sister. And then he's like, I love you. We're gonna get married. She's like, I don't know. Like, can you talk to our parents? She's like, yeah, I'll go talk to parents. So Ator talks to his dad. and He's like, hey. You know, I, I I love I love my sister. He's like, oh, you know what? Good news is she's not your sister. And it's like, oh, yep. well, that solved itself. Like they're the- way too happy about it. They're like really excited. Like, <laughs> oh, I really had it in the back of my mind that you two would get together. Like, I, I thought that this was going to be like one of the big driving points of the film is like this, like you know, like forbidden love type angle. Yeah. And like the parents, are like, nah, that's cool. And he's like, even though you slept <laughs> at the same breast, you were definitely not related. It's like that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> Um, and, and then like, and then he's like, oh, well, I guess you'll be my parents for the second time. It's like, this is all crazy talk, you know? <laughs> um, but then in, you know, so, but, so then you get like these points where, uh, Dakar, this, the guy who's the Lord of the spiders, like he knows that Ator is a, 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 like possibly around and needs to kill him kind of like in a Jesus allegory of like Pontius Pilate type thing. Wow. That you went deep for that. And it's whatever it's, that's deeper. This film went, uh, so they they come and kill like they try to kill people in the village very kind of similar to Conan, and it sends uh, it sends Ator on a quest because they take his sister wife, which you could literally say sister wife in this, yeah, because it's literally true. Uh, they they capture her and he goes on this quest to go save her, but then you find out like this guy can't fight for shit, like and then, <laughs> and, then and then like the guy who's been watching him this entire time, whose name was uh, Subutai. Is that the same name? That's not right. No, that's from Conan the Barbarian. Oops. No, no, no. That's 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 Conan. His name is Griba. Uh, Griba, who is the guy who was, you know, teaching him how to fight and all this. And it's like, uh, it, it becomes this like quest, but at the same time, it, the rest of the movie becomes a series of 
of being sidetracked by things. I feel like it was like him going to go try to save her, but then he was training and then he saw another female warrior who was like holding her own. And the entire time, by the way, you thought the bear cub was going to go away. The bear cub is actually a major point of the story. His name is Keo. Yes. And so the bear cub, which by the way, that was the cutest thing in the movie. I think Keo is great, but then they put, they put like a a Pepe the Pew, like skunk stripe on him (laughs) to make him different because you know, back then you just spray paint an animal. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, they, they killed the they killed the tiger and beastmaster by dying it black, you know. So like, why not just paint a skunk stripe on the bear? Uh, it just so it becomes this whole series of just like mild inconveniences to get to try to stop to stop the spider guy. But at the same time, though, it's like I there were some interesting ideas in the film, like the all female warriors capturing him, uh, the whole cave full of the blind uh, blacksmiths. Like, I'm not saying it was pulled off well, but it was kind of cool. There were some neat ideas in there. Oh, and the Shield of Mordor. They call it the Shield of Mordor. And they don't really say exactly what it does because its power set changes as yeah. needed. Uh, but there is a fight he has with a shadow that's actually pretty cool. Like when he's sword fighting the shadow on the wall. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I actually, the choreography of that actually was kind of awesome. I liked it. I don't know what you, what you thought about it. I thought it was like, it was. Very um, limited in its move set, but he was able to time his parries with the shadow, and it actually kind of worked. I liked it. Like so, there was ideas in this film that weren't in Conan the Barbarian that they're like, sure, throw it against the wall, see what happens. And I kind of dug that aspect of it. I will say that there's kind of an admirable um, quality to it in the sense of like, well, they're really going for it. Like it's a big idea, and they're I I can't fault them for for really trying to to pull it off. Um, but I will say that one of the things that stuck out the most to me was, is that, uh, the sword fighting in this movie is just terrible. It is like, um, (laughs) it's worse than Ash, uh, versus the army of darkness where it was like the three moves. Yeah. (laughs) Like one, two, three, (laughs) one, two, three, you know, like, yeah. And like you mentioned the training montage and like, it's by far like one of the most boring training montages I've ever seen. Um, and there's a part where like uh, the one, I can't remember if it's a glass or, or like a, if it's a cup or if it's a candle or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, tra- I forgot about that. Yeah. So Grieb is trying to show him like how great he is with the sword. Yeah. And he takes, he swipes at this candle and I'm expecting that like a, like a, a quick little, like seeing all three, like three parts of it fall apart. Like, Oh crap. He, he cut it like a few times. No, he just goes over and grabs the top of it and it's separated from the, like it's been separated the entire time. time yeah. You're like, that's not really that, no. You didn't even strike it that way. Yeah, it was it was uh, great, and I you know I just there's a, there's a bit where a part of a cave gets like the rocks fall in, and the one female warrior is calling out to Keo to come loosen the rocks. So they actually get the bear to somehow stand on rocks and kind of knock them down. I don't know how they got that shot, but you have a bear cub walking on rocks that are coming loose, and somehow the bear cub's like helping them get to safety. I don't understand it. I'm not questioning it. Like so. This film was a lot of fun. Like you had analogs of the raid on the village, uh, a warrior coming to his own, uh, the kingdom of the spider, not kingdom of the spider. That's the William Shatner movie. Um, <laughs> another great one. The spider like religion is, is directly analog to set in the snakes. Yes. Um, you have uh, Dakar who is a stand in for Thulsa doom. Cause so you have the, like the strong, you know, like man of color that's running the whole show he doesn't really say much versus like Edward James, not Edward James, James Old Jones, 
but he, you know, you, you get that they're trying these same things, you know? And also Conan the Barbarian doesn't shy away from like, like sex in that movie. And this movie, there's definitely, it, it tries to give you some of that cheesecake as well. So it's, it's trying to hit all those points, but it just feels like I, this feels like this is more like high fantasy with almost like a Greek, a Greek, like, um, not legend, but, um, a Greek myth. Like mm-hmm. it feels like a myth, which it's Italian, so of course it's going to feel more like mythical, like Roman, like and all that. It felt like you know, as opposed to Conan the Barbarian, which is like this is a harsh world, and this guy is just going to get his revenge. This like it almost felt like it felt like a shitty knockoff of Legend of Zelda to me a little bit, and that's not that's I guess it's not a it's not a bad thing because you pick up your sword, you got to go get your shield, you got to go fight the spider, you got to save the day, you got your bear buddy with you. And you got you got the girl that's clearly into you, but it's not your love interest because she's not your sister. That was like weird how the the one female warrior was kind of all about him, and he was not having any of it. Um, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with this movie. Um, so I, it sounds like you enjoyed it too. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had fun with it. Um, like I said, I really enjoyed the fact that like it did try to go for those big moments, and mm-hmm. that's one of those things that I really do like about eighties movies. Um, and you could go back to stuff like uh, a lot of the Golden Globus films that came out <laughs> of canon um, that sort of reach for the stars kind of thing. Like, even if they didn't have the budget for it, they would try to pull off these huge productions. Um, and there is sort of like a real admirable quality about that type of stuff. Um, so that stuff outshines sort of its... It, it reaching for something that they can't quite grasp uh, is much more admirable than just being lazy, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that so. also kind of feels like we were just talking about with the, the main topic. But, uh, yeah, like, so the music in this film is actually pretty good. Except we'll get to the end. Um, and you guys are in for a treat. Uh, the scoring was actually pretty good. I don't know how how Italian cinema is able to be so low budget, but actually have pretty good like orchestral scores to go with it. It wasn't mm-hmm. bad. I liked it. I, I felt like it was punching above its weight. A lot of the film. Um, and it, like, so the, this thing has, it ha- like, this is the kind of film that uh, this is the perfect, like I'm going to have people over. I'm like, you guys don't even know what you're about to watch with a tour the fighting Eagle. We're going to sit down and watch this film. This is a good group watch film. I watched it by myself, but I knew you were watch- watching it. I think you were like 20 minutes behind me. Like yeah. It was and so <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed knowing that we get, this is the kind of film that like, if I watched this by myself and had no one to talk to about it, I think I'd have been miserable the entire time. But just knowing <laughs> I get a chance to dig in, this was fun. So we're going to kind of figure this out right now. So we like setting some standards. So first I got to give credit to El Goro of Talk Without Rhythm. Uh, he mentioned his Ator the Fighting Eagle scale, saying if a film is as enjoyable as Ator the Fighting Eagle, he can get with it. Uh, just a matter of the quality of it. But if it's below it, he can't get with it. So Ator has his line. It's his line. If it's Ator quality, he can watch it and have a good time. If it's below that, he doesn't want to spend his time. I think that's fair. I'll give him credit for that. Um, so is this a successful knockoff? Did this did this emulate? Did it did it did it take enough from Conan the Barbarian? Did it learn its lesson? Like the lesson you talk about, like did it learn the right lesson? Ooh, that's a good question because I honestly don't know that I, I. It's an enjoyable watch, but I don't know because I mean you could even say that Conan the Destroyer doesn't learn the right lesson <laughs> lesson from uh, Conan, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. So um, I do feel like it's got a uh, you know. One of the things that I really like about Conan the Barbarian too is is that it feels very much like the '80s Marvel comic did. Um, and if I were putting that up against you know Ator against that you know same sort of scale, 
I would say that, yeah, in, in that respect, yeah, it, it does. It's got, you know, crazy action. Well, not well choreographed action. It does have action. It's got monsters. It's got, uh, and I, I, I don't remember exactly what her deal is. There's a, a point in the film where he encounters this woman who sort of enchants him. And her, she looks in the mirror, and then her fa- face melts the, the, away. She had the shield of Mordor there, right? Yeah. Or something like that. Either, no, no, it was a mirror. It was a strip of mirror that was covered. That once she saw her true self, she became like a monster or something. Yeah. That's kind of similar to like the succubus type thing that was in Conan the Barbarian, but that was way more graphic in Conan the Barbarian. Uh, yeah. So I mean, you got like it, so. I feel like it learned. It, it took from that film of like you got to have some adventure, you got to have some stakes. Um, I feel like it knew that it couldn't be as grim because it didn't have it didn't have the time or the set dressing to be. And I mean that's not even the movie they wanted to make. They just wanted to make like a you know a sword and board fantasy film. Yeah. Um, that I guess the only magic it had in it was there was an eagle statue that would like like. By the way, Ator the fighting eagle. Where do you get the fighting eagle from? I never <laughs> once there was no fighting eagle. Like he's the fighting eagle. I get it, but there's no eagle style. There's no eagle. Any I don't know. I I just I don't know where that came from. Like I I like it. I just don't know where the eagle part came from other than like it was his birthmark an eagle i don't know it looked like just i didn't i wasn't quite sure what the birthmark was supposed to be like yeah, it looked i don't know like a hammer a sickle almost but I mean, like yeah. yeah i don't know what it was and also the poster for the film shows him swinging a cat in nine tails or, or like you know at least like um a, like a morning star whip or whatever it is like with the multiple like you know like it's a whip with many many like spiked balls in the end. I never saw that in the movie either. I don't know where that's coming from. But that's what I loved about posters back then. Though <laughs> it's just like, like I don't know. Sure, um, I it isn't as grim and as brutal as Conan the Barbarian. I don't think it was setting out to do that. I think it was just trying to set up its own mythology of Ator, which Ator got has more movies than Conan does. He does. I mean, if you even count the remake, Ator still has one more movie than Conan does. I keep saying Conan like Conan O'Brien. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'll give it, I, I, I don't know if it's a, I, I don't know if I'd completely agree that it's, it, it learned a lesson. It tried. I don't think it ignored it. Um, so I guess then, so did it learn its lesson? Uh, would you recommend this? I'd recommend it. I think this is a fun movie to watch. It's silly. Um, and then I guess on a scale of knockoffness, I don't know what we want to assign like one, one through five, like how successful a knockoff do you think this was? Um, or we're we just going to give it a three and say a towards the three. And then everything is the a towards scale of a three. I actually like that. I, th- I feel like a towards <laughs> the three. Because uh, if we're using it as a scale, you know, anything below would be a two or a one, and anything yeah. above would be a four and a five. Or do I you want to be a little more granular and go to ten, so that way we could have a little bit more latitude and say a towards a five? So, because I don't know what we're about to get into next, I don't know. We got this is going to be eleven more movies over the course of a year. Like yeah. we haven't figured out what they are yet. And like, so you guys can contribute, please. Um, I, either it's the middle, it's the middle. Like I completely agree with the notion of if this was. If this was worse, and actually, you know, I'll argue too, the very end of this film makes up for a lot of it. Um, the very, this last like three minutes of this film are amazing. Uh, I almost don't want to ruin it, but you guys are going to find out. Um, yeah, it, like if this was, if it tried less, I don't think I would care. Um, you could see that it had, it was trying to do something different. It just, I feel like this thing has more in line with it with the crawl that it does come in the barbarian, but that's like, you know, 
Yeah, and it, I mean, that's all kind of of the period, though. Yeah, that's true. Like, you had Red Sonia, you had uh, Krull, you had Conan, you apparently had Ator. Um, <laughs> oh, we had Ator. <laughs> so, I mean, that was definitely of the period. Yeah. So, so anyway, highly recommended. Uh, just to we're, get to the end of the movie. So, the end of the movie, spoilers. You know, he saves his sister wife. It's great. They're running through a field. It's great. It's just wonderful, light, happy. Uh, Keo is okay. The bear's running around. He's happy. Has a skunk, skunk stripe. And then you hear the greatest end song for any movie ever made. <laughs> and you guys, you guys are like a couple minutes from now. You guys are going to be amazed. The the end song for this uh, film is like the prom song you didn't know that you needed in your life. It feels like that slow dance for everybody. And it's just you know. Like he just want Ator to be the loving eagle and not the fighting eagle at that point. Yeah, and uh, well, I I think I texted you and I was like, if we do not end the show with this, we are not doing our jobs. Right. But uh, you know, I will also say that uh, if you're a Mystery Science Theater three thousand fan, yes, uh, the uh, sequel to Ator is, uh, which is weird. It's renamed cave dwellers um for distribution purposes um but they got a hold of that on mr sense theater 3000 so the entire sequel uh is an episode of mst3k yeah and riff tracks did a uh, riff tracks for a tour so i might have to go back and check that out and my favorite joke i think from cave dwellers is uh do you know how much o'keefe is in this movie miles, miles. of it <laughs> yeah and also just real quick did you notice he was did you know he was count dracula and waxwork i did not know no yeah that so that was like his so <laughs> Waxwork is not a film that's like, you know, touted as much of anything, I guess. It's fun. <laughs> but that was a bigger release probably than Ator. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that was I couldn't find anything else that he did that was I was Waxworks, like. Was was it Italian? No. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> what I was like. Yeah. So anyway. All right. There you go. Year of the knockoff. That's what twenty eighteen is. If you guys have suggestions for comparisons, uh, you know, if you feel like maybe Top Gun versus Iron Eagle, we're gonna we're gonna say that. If you should say, like, I know Kevin gave us a list. I don't want to give away some of it. It's very Italian. That's pretty great. But if you guys have suggestions for knockoffs uh, that we should watch, be more than happy to consider them. Uh, this is a group effort, and this is a lot of fun. And Steve, thank you for watching A Tour: The Fighting Eagle. I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed this movie. It was good. It was good to see. I wanted to seek more Italian films in, and this definitely scratched that itch. All right. I'm yeah. glad to have uh, been a help. Yeah. So, all right. That's going to do it for that that discussion. Uh, next week, we're going to watch the uh, the Godzilla um, Netflix uh, anime. It's a, was it Planet of Monsters or Monster Planet? Something like that. That's what it's called. Um, gonna I'll wa- be honest. I didn't catch the title. So yeah. It's, I it's just knew it had Godzilla animated in it. Animated Netflix Godzilla. We're going to watch that. We're going to talk a little bit about Godzilla. Our thoughts on that show. And then talk a little bit about the history of Godzilla because he's been... Uh, represented well and not so well at times. So um, I'm get, looking at you, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get our get our kaiju <laughs> on here. So uh, yeah, so I and, and also real quick, uh, just to mention uh, this Saturday, Capitol Theater, RoboCop Midnight, and we'll try to be there. So you guys should should go there too. It's like six bucks. Watch RoboCop in the theater. It'll be a lot of fun. It's not a tour, but still pretty good can't beat it yeah so all right that's gonna do it for us this week uh have a safe week and just just you know just know that ator's out there and he's gonna fight for you
that you were the one. Let me tell you, I've never been this way till I met you. Did the chance say you love me? In the silence, I hear 